morning, everybody. How you doing? Glad to be here today. All right, I'm the guest preacher for today. My name is Craig. All right, I've actually been out for a while, so I'm glad to be back in it. And I just came back from Bolivia uh, this week, had an amazing time. I'll, I'll share more with you what we experienced there, but an incredible time. But when I'm away, I'm still in my heart here with you and can't wait to get back and open up God's word together. So I'm excited to be here uh, today and I hope you are too. Uh, why don't you get your Bible and open it up? That's what we do every week. Get our Bible out. If you don't have one, there's one provided for you at your seat. Open it up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew, chapter 18 is where we're going to start. Today, we're talking about the parable of the unmerciful servant. And uh, I just want to start off with a question. And here's the big question Would people say that you? are a forgiving person. Will people say that you are a forgiving person? Or are you one of those that likes to kind of keep records and keep count of all the things that people have done to you? You know people like that, right? I remember hearing a story of a guy and he uh, was having some marital problems and he needed some advice. So he decided to go to this oldest guy in town. He and his wife have been married for decades and get some marital advice. So he went to this old man. He said, hey, can you help me with my marriage? How did you stay married so long? And the man said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, when my wife and I first got married, it was a long, long time ago. He said, we, one of the first things we did, we took a little ride in her buggy with, uh, with her donkey that pulled her, the cart. And we were on the ride and the donkey uh, stopped, just wouldn't move forward. She got out of the buggy and she looked at that donkey and said, that's one. She got back in the buggy and it went on. A few minutes later, it stopped again. She got out. This time, she kind of grabbed it by the reins and said, that's two. Got back in and moved on down the road again. He stops, wouldn't move. She gets out. This time, she looks very sternly in the eyes and forceful in her voice, grabbed by the reins and said, that's three. And she got back in the buggy. He went on and then for a little bit, he stopped again. So she got out, pulled a two by four out of the back of the buggy and cracked him over the head. Well, her new husband was just shocked. He was like, oh my gosh, she gets back in the buggy. He's like, what just happened? I mean, we, what did you do? Well, I've never seen that side of you. There's no possible way. We can't go hitting our animals like that. That's she looked at him and said, that's one. <laughs> and he said, I've never had another argument again. You know, maybe, maybe that's the secret to a happy marriage. I don't know. But, but there are a lot of people like that. You know, that's one. Boy, they're keeping count of how many times that person has done that to them. And they keep all the records, right? But, but there is a better way in dealing with forgiveness. And Jesus' way is the best way. And that's what he's talking about here in, in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus has been talking to his disciples about how to resolve conflict. Really, Matthew 18 is kind of known as the chapter of conflict resolution. And Jesus gives a, a, a strategy of how to resolve it. If, you, if somebody hurts you, offends you, you go to that brother one-on-one -on -one or that sister one-on-one -on -one and you resolve it between the two of you. If you can do that, then you've won that person over and you've resolved the conflict. If not, then you go back with two more and you work at it again to try to resolve the conflict. If they still will not resolve the conflict, then, then you tell it to leaders in the church and eventually you distance yourself because uh, the, uh, that's the process of conflict resolution. And so Peter is hearing all this, and he's probably thinking in his mind uh, how this is going to actually play out. And so a question comes to Peter that he has to ask Jesus, and that's where we jump in to the story. So join me, Matthew chapter 18, verse 
21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as 70, uh, as many as seven times? Now stop right there. He's like, Lord, there's a lot of work to this whole conflict resolution thing. There's a, I mean, how many times we got to go through this? How many times will I forgive a person that sins against me? Seven times? Now this was, this was really, in Peter's mind, reaching way out there, being extremely gracious. To, to forgive someone seven times in Peter's mind was over and above what's required. And he was actually right. Because according to Jewish tradition and Jewish teaching, you would only, only require to forgive someone three times, only three times. In fact, uh, we read this in the rabbinic literature, Rabbi Joseph ben Hanina said this, he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. So you're only to ask forgiveness and give forgiveness a maximum of three times. Also, the kind of historic uh, Rabbi Joseph ben Jehuna, uh, Jehuda, he said this, if a man... A uh, man's neighbor must, I'm sorry, if a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive. So the, I guess the rule of thumb was three strikes and you're out, right? I guess the woman with the donkey was Jewish, right? She gave him three times and then she gave him the crack across the head, all right? That was the Jewish expectation, so for Peter to say seven times, well, that was like doubling what he's told and adding one. I mean, that, he thought he was really going to be praised by Jesus for his gracious, forgiving heart. And then Jesus spoke to him. Look at verse 22. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or other versions say 70 times seven. Jesus wasn't just giving a higher number. Jesus was offering a higher standard. See, it's not about the number. Jesus was saying, your forgiveness should be without limit. You should forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. This is not the only place that Jesus talked about forgiveness. In Luke uh, chapter 17, verse four, he's also talking about this issue of forgiveness. And he says this, even if your brother sins against you seven times in one day, and, and begs for forgiveness, you must forgive him. And when they heard that, they said, oh, Lord, increase our faith. I mean, Lord, how in the world could anybody forgive a guy that sins against you seven times in one day? How in the world could we ever do that? See, Jesus is raising this standard of forgiveness. And basically what Jesus is saying is this, that um, the law keeps count of wrongs, but love keeps no record of wrongs. The law keeps the number of how many offenses you have, but grace doesn't keep a record of the offenses. He said you must forgive. And by the way, forgiveness is hard to do. This is a hard message to give. It's a hard message to receive because forgiveness is hard to do, isn't it? And I think uh, probably over the almost 30 years now as being a lead pastor, you thought I was a lot younger than that, I know. Anyway, uh, uh, most of the counseling that I do stems somewhere down into some area of forgiveness. A lack of a husband and wife to forgive, a parent to child to forgive, friends to forgive, someone that's offended you forgive. It's hard to do. And I think the reason why is because we have this distorted view of forgiveness. We think that somehow if I forgive another person, that that 
minimizes the offense. If I say I forgive you, then I'm saying it was okay what you did to me. Other people feel like it's a, it's a weakness, right? If I say I forgive, then I've kind of, I, I've given in and they've somehow won over me. Or, or that if I forgive, then I, I've kind of let them off the hook. And my only way to get them to pay them back for the offense is to hold over them this relenting unforgiveness. But that's really not the forgiveness that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18. When Jesus talks about forgiveness, get this, he's basically saying to release the offense to God. That is forgiveness, to release the offense to God, to say, God, you have seen this offense against me. You know it full well. And God, you are the righteous judge and you will judge justly in every case. And I'm releasing to you to do justly in this situation. I'm releasing this offense to you. I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm not going to hold on to it any longer. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, God is the one that knows. God's the one that is just. And God is the one that will hand out the just payments for what has been done. He said, that's my job. Mine to repay, not yours. That's mine and so to forgive is to say, God, I release this to you. Uh, God, I, I no, listen, I no longer allow what this person did to me to define me or to control me or to shape my future. I release it. I get rid of it. And with that, their power over me from this point forward. They maybe had my past that they will not have my future. And I release this to God and to God alone who is just and will do justly. That is forgiveness, to release it to God. And that's what Jesus is calling Peter to do, to forgive even 70 times seven. And I'm sure as Jesus was telling this to Peter, his, his gears are turning and grinding in his head and he's probably his face is kind of distorted a little bit. He's like, what? You know, I, I'm just trying to make sense of all of this. And so Jesus follows up this statement with a story. Most of the parables of Jesus uh, really are following some question that Jesus is illustrating what this looks like. And so he launches into this story called the unmerciful servant. So look at verse 23. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and, uh, with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now stop right here. Uh, the king calls in accounts. He's settling records with his servants and he finds one guy that owes 10,000 talents. Now listen, to you and me, that means absolutely nothing. 10,000 talents doesn't do anything. For Jesus' day, when he would say this word, you would have heard a gasp. <gasps> 10,000 talents. Why? Because the talent was the highest monetary denomination. Right? There wasn't anything higher than a talent. All right? they, some, I see some estimates somewhere between half a million to $1.4 million current today. Usually weight in silver or gold. Therefore, the discrepancy of the value. But 10,000, a talent was a huge amount of money. Just one talent was a huge amount of money, all right? 
Now, he adds to that the word Miriam, which, which we get the word myriad from, which we translate here 10,000, which was like the largest number they could think of. So he's basically taking the largest amount of money and saying the largest number that there was, and he's making this totally unpayable debt, right? If he was saying it today, he would say, there once was a servant who owed the king a gazillion dollars, right? A gazillion dollars. I mean, just, just far and above more than you can even conceive. There was no way this guy was going to pay this debt back. And so he orders his, him to be sold, his wife to be sold. This was the common practice of the time to somehow put it against the debt. And the servant falls down and he begs for forgiveness. And one version, some versions say the king had compassion on him. Uh, some versions say he had pity on him. But the king was moved toward this servant that owed him so much money. And so the king did something radical. He didn't forgive part of the debt. He didn't say, well, I'll put you on a payment plan with no interest. He, he said, if you, you pay, you'll pay off your house and some of the things that I'll pay the rest off. He didn't do that. He, in a moment, forgave all of it. He just forgave the debt. He'd be like, you go into your banker and you're making your house payment. He goes, oh, I just decided to forgive all, all your debts. Your house is paid off. All your college paid off. All that college debt, that's paid off too. I just wipe away all your debt. I mean, can you imagine how that would be? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great? And so, so he just forgives it. In other words, the king says, I will absorb the loss. I will absorb the loss and you can go absolutely free. And, and those that watched this whole drama being played out, they were like taken back. They were like, what great king we have that he forgives such an enormous debt. I mean, well, how gracious and merciful and kind and forgiving. There's no one like him. That's our great king. Now, this part of the story, let's just translate it to us. The king represents God. And the servant that owes the debt represents you and me. The Bible says that we have sinned against God. And we have racked up a sin debt that we cannot pay. Every time we say, God, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. Got to get out of my life. I want to say the things I want to say and act the way I want to act. And that's the way I am. That this, this accrues a debt, a weight of debt that you and I think are little things, but they are not little things to God. They're an offense against the holy God. Therefore, they are egregious before God. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned. And we all have this spiritual sin debt that we owe. And the Bible goes on to say that the payment for that sin debt is death. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But God, in his rich mercy toward us, didn't, when, when we owed him gazillions of our sin debt, that God chose mercy. He chose compassion. And he moved toward us and he sent Christ. This is the gospel. He sent Christ to earth. And when Christ came, he came to pay your sin debt. He didn't just come to be a, a good a teacher or a good moral leader. He came to pay a sin debt. And that's what he was doing on the cross. What was, why was he dying on the cross? What was this whole deal about Jesus dying on the cross? He was paying your sin debt. I love what Colossians 2 says, Colossians 2.14. It says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. How? Nailing it to the cross. This is why Jesus cried out, it is finished. His last words, it means it is paid in full. 
Now listen, that is the essence of the gospel. God didn't pay through Christ some of your debt, and now you need to work it out on a payment plan to be better and to try to be good and moral and religious. That's not how it works. He absorbed the sin himself, absorbed the loss himself, and he offers forgiveness to all who will turn to him in faith. See, the Christian life is not about doing more. The Christian life is at the core about forgiveness. And listen, to talk about forgiveness, the starting place is at the cross. Because at the cross, we see the greatest expression of forgiveness. The greatest picture of forgiveness is at Calvary and what Jesus did for you and for me. Isn't that good news? By the way, can we just stop right there and say, that's really good news? That your sin debt is gone? He said, as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for you. And by the way, if you've never experienced the freedom of the forgiveness of God, I hope that before you leave today, you will. The freedom, that's the power of forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is illustrating here with this this servant that is forgiven so greatly. But he continues on with this story. Look at verse 28. He said, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this uh, this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when, this fellow, when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Now, you would have thought that this guy that was forgiven of all this incredible debt, right? You would think that he would have been so profoundly changed, so profoundly overcome by the grace of his king that he would have been a different person, and he would have seen others' debt so differently. You would have thought, right? But no. That's not how it happened. This guy actually walks out of the palace where he was just forgiven of an enormous debt. And he goes and he finds one guy that owes him 100 denarii, which is equivalent to about three months wage, all right, maybe a quarter of payments. uh, uh, and, and And he goes up and he grabs him by the throat and starts to choke him. He goes, pay me back. You've been ditching me for too long. You owe me this money. You offended me. Now you pay me back right now. And, he just try, and the guy's just begging him. And by the way, if, you're, if you've noticed, if you're aware, that that guy says the same thing that the uh, unmerciful servant said to the great king. He said, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now this guy probably could pay him back. But he said, no, I'm not paying you. I'm sick and tired of you. You're going to prison. And he threw him into debtor's prison till he paid back what he owed. Listen, when you, when you hear that, man, you're like, this is a bad dude, right? I mean, you're thinking, this is, a, this is a bad guy. I mean, who would do that, right? Who would do that? This, man, I hope this guy gets what's coming to him, right? Come on, Jesus, get to the rest of the story, man. We want, we want the hammer to fall on this dude because he's a, he's a bad guy. Who is this guy that Jesus is talking about? Who is it that Jesus is, is talking about here that would do such a thing? Well, he's talking about a person who has been forgiven by God of all of their sin and yet turns around and will not forgive another person that offends them. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about a guy that claims 
to know Jesus but has a settled position in his heart or in her heart that she will not forgive that person who has cheated her or lied to her or abused her or offended her or wounded her or taken something from her. This is the person that has received enormous grace but will not extend grace to others. Is that you? Is that you? That you have, you're still holding on to past offenses. You replay over and over and over in your mind what that person did to you and how they offended you and you will never forgive. When that name comes up, you grit your teeth. When, when you see that person, you think they might be in the same restaurant, you walk out the door. That there, There's something about them that bristles and something in you that wants them to pay for what they have done. Listen, we forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive as Christians because we have been forgiven. We, we have been profoundly changed by the grace of God. We've been profound. We know our sin. We know who we are. We understand the gravity of it. And we know what God has forgiven us for. And so we forgive because we have been forgiven. This is why in Ephesians 4.32 it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, just as God forgave you, then you are now a channel of forgiveness to others. Following Jesus is not just about receiving forgiveness, but it is also about extending forgiveness. That's what a Christ follower does. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was emotional. It wasn't emotional. But that's what we do. Same thing that it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Rachel Den Hollander was an Olympic gymnast. After her Olympic career, she went on to become an attorney. She was the first one to accuse Larry Nasser, the Olympic uh, gymnast physician, of sexual assault. Once Rachel made, exposed that egregious crime, many other Olympic girls came forward saying they had been offended by Nasser. Uh, he, many of you followed this case, it was very public. Uh, he was, I believe, in January sentenced to 175 years in prison for his crimes. During the sentencing phase, uh, the girls that had been offended by him were able to speak to him directly and to vent their anger at him, uh, rightly so. But there was only one girl that spoke about grace, and it was Rachel. And I wanted you to just read the, the comments that she made to him. She said, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. 
I pray you experience a soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. How do you explain that? How do you, how do you explain that kind of forgiveness? You see, Rachel has experienced forgiveness and she forgives just as Christ has forgiven her. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Jesus goes on to finish his story. Look at it in verse 32. It says, then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. This guy finally gets what's coming to him. He's been forgiven of all his great debt. And then he went and choked out some guy that offended him for, for uh, about a, a quarter's worth of wage. And, and now he comes back and says, you are a wicked servant. Should you have not extended forgiveness? And I just like you received forgiveness. And he said, you're going to go back to the jailers and pay all of it, which means he never would could ever get out of it. In fact, the word jailer there, some versions translate it torturers. Interesting. So you're going to pay what you owe. And I guess at some point, you know, there, we kind of, if we stop the story right there, we go, well, all right, the guy kind of got what was coming to him. Justice was served. And then there's verse 35. Then Jesus turns to him and says a shocking statement. And if it doesn't shock you, you don't fully understand what he said, all right? Look at what he says. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So will my heavenly father do to you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. What does that mean? I mean, this is one of the verses where people like to kind of gloss over and just kind of move on, end of story and go to the next one because that verse there, that is the punchline. That is the, that's what Jesus has been driving to this whole time. So will my father do to you. What is he saying? What does Jesus mean by that statement? And I think what you can understand is you just need to write out in the margin of your Bible, warning, all right? He is flashing out this massive warning, neon light, flashing light, warning, warning, warning against unforgiveness. He's like, listen, don't be like this guy who refused to forgive. Peter, Peter's saying, how much, how, how often? I, surely I reach a limit where I don't have to forgive anymore. And he gives this whole story to say, don't be like this guy who allowed unforgiveness to grab his heart. What does it mean when he said, this will happen to you? I, well, I think there, there, is a, there are two extremes that you can understand this. The first one is this. At the very least, what Jesus is saying is this. If you hold unforgiveness in your heart and yet you claim to know Christ and you hold it within you, it will imprison you. It will be a torturing thing to you. You will, you will never be free to know Christ. You'll never be free to walk with God. You'll never be used by God because you will constantly be tethered to the chains of unforgiveness in your life. You will never truly be free until you forgive. I was in Bolivia and uh, I met a man named Wes there. 
Wes is almost 70 years old now, and we had a great time together, got to know him. He's from the States. And Wes was, over just kind of course of conversation, he told me a story. His parents were missionaries in Africa, and uh, they were in a very, very desolate rural area. And, and when Wes and his sister came age to go to school, uh, the common practice at that time was to send your children to boarding school. And so they went to boarding school several hundred miles away. And um, he said, in that boarding school, he said, we were terribly abused by supposedly Christian boarding school. We were horrifically abused. He said, I was beaten multiple times a day, um, even starting at about seven years old, all the way to about 10 years old. He said, one time I kept count. And he said, I was beaten on average 17 times a week. Not hit 17 times, but 17 episodes of abuse. He said, we suffered physical abuse that left bruises and broke the skin. He said, we suffered uh, emotional abuse of being called idiots and tools of Satan. He said, we were, he said, yes, there was even sexual abuse that happened to many of the young boys and girls. He said, it was horrible. It was awful. And yet we were warned if we ever told our parents that something terrible would happen to them. So we kept all this abuse silent. Finally, the, it was exposed. They shut the school down. He was moved to a different boarding school that was much better. Um, many years later, the 45 kids that were a part of that boarding school brought a class action suit against the denomination because of these things that happened to them. And there was a hearing but I was, I was hearing his story and I said, Wes, how, how did you get past that? I mean, you were so young and, and this happened so frequently. How did you deal with that? And he said, Craig, he said, I was so angry. I was so angry. And he said, I was a teenager and I went to a Christian camp and the pastor spoke about forgiveness. And he said, I realized in that moment that if I did not release this, it would destroy me. So he said, and these were his words, I chose to unclench my fist and release it to God. And he said, God, they took my past, but they cannot have my future. And he said, I learned to release it to God and to move forward. Wes went on to college and got his master's degree, got his PhD. He went to work for a little organization that was run out of an office about the size of a 7-Eleven called Compassion International. There he began to care for children and champion the welfare of children all around the world. He became the CEO and president of Compassion International for 20 years, which grew from a small little outfit to now over 2 million children all around the world that are being cared for and protected and told about Jesus. And he said, you know, Craig, I look back and they called me Joseph because what Satan meant for evil, God actually used for good to champion the cause of children in poverty all over the world. He said, tell them to unclench their fist. If you don't unclench your fist, then you will never be free. And so I think at the very least, Jesus is saying, listen, if you don't be like this guy because you'll never be free. But then on the other hand, I think at the greatest extent, what Jesus is saying is this, if you cannot forgive, then maybe you've never truly received the forgiveness from God in the first place. And maybe you need to start there.
asking God to forgive you. So I'm going to end with the way I started. Let me ask you a question. Are you a forgiving person? And is there someone right now, something right now, that you need to release to God?